Mm. Uh, it's been a little while, and uh, I am Tim. I'm very, very sad because uh, Darren, Darren McLeod, da- uh, Gavin McLeod left us. Oh, it's just that was just a you know, dude. Stupid. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, um. Um. And and uh, and uh, of course, you know, Mur- Murray. I'm for me. I've been Captain Stewie. Yes, Murray, of course. Yeah. But I'm Murray from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Yeah. And he and I both had the exact same crush on Mary at the exact same time. Uh, even though he was a married man. Uh. And and, uh, and and I think I told you when we were passing some emails. There's an episode. Uh, late sixties episode of a Y five O. I know <laughs> where he plays this pimp. He's a pimp drug dealer, and he's real hip and mod, and he has on these little blue <laughs> sunglasses, the little round grain yeah. glasses that everybody's doing in the sixties. Except that they're, they were completely contemporary to the day, and a tie dye shirt, and he's just this vicious pimp drug dealer. And you know what? He was already bald <laughs> in, that, in that episode of a Y five O. You know, he he never got enough credit for the great actor that he that he really yeah. was. And yeah. uh, you know, the first one from the Love Boat to, to leave us, uh, as everyone knows by now, I've been doing nothing but watching Love Boat reruns at every opportunity <laughs> on, on Pluto <laughs> TV, which has you know a full running loop of Love Boat all day long. And uh, I even got to plug it on Film Week uh, last week. I plugged oh. my Love Boat obsession. But but here's the thing: as schmaltzy and wacky as that show can be, um, there's some great acting in it. I mean, some really amazing acting, like the episode where they introduce Vicky, his daughter, right, who becomes mm. a regular on the show at a certain mm. point. Uh, the whole narrative there is that he never knew he had a daughter. This is the daughter he never knew he had. They start to develop the relationship, but, you know, because of her aunt and uncle who've now brought her into, into his life, they're going to take her away again. She wants to stay, and he wants her to stay, but she's got to go, and it's a whole Douglas Sirkian melodrama. And, and eventually there's the big moment at the end where aunt and uncle say, we want her to stay with you, which you knew was coming. And then she comes in with the glycerin tears because she's like 13 years old, right? She, she can't cry on, on, on command. You can tell it's a full on glycerin tear. It's not even moving. It's halfway down her cheek and it's frozen. You know, some makeup person went in there with an eyedropper, drip, 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 ran out of frame, action. You just, you just knew that was going on. And she's trying, she's given her best, but then they turn to him and so help me God almighty he kills that moment. Just the look in his eyes. Here it is. It's the love boat, dude. It's not high art. It, it, it's it's one schmaltzy story. It's fine. The writing is adequate, but he, Gavin McLeod, gives it like an Oscar level effort. And he, there's just this look in his eyes that speaks volumes. It's amazing. It's an amazing piece of piece of acting. It's well, yeah, you know, look, I agree with you 100%. Um, a lot of the acting, a lot of the storylines on that on that show, and, and yeah, like you said, small scene, all this kind of a lot of, uh, and uh, you know, the doctor running around always trying to, you know, with the widows and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, but in every episode of that show, there would be some sort of a B storyline that had some yeah. real, real serious heart stuff right in the middle of it. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, and you know, and, and and that that was the that was the secret of that show, uh, and uh, and Gavin McLeod was a was a big wonderful part of it. All kinds. Of, he's a wonderful character actor, uh, just across the, the decades, really, uh, going yeah. back to the middle fifties. You, you can follow Gavin McLeod. Uh, and how old was he? he? Was like ninety something, if I'm not mistaken. 
91, I think. 90 or 91. Yeah. You know, of, of the old Mary Tyler, Tyler Moore crew, uh, we lost Ted Knight uh, fairly early on, maybe some 20 odd years ago. Yeah. We lost Ted. Um, but, you know, and, and Mary, not too, not too terribly long ago, a couple of few years ago, we lost Mary. But um, Lou Grant, still hanging in Lou Grant. Uh, Ed Asner. Ed Asner. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me. He's, Excuse he's, me 90, he's 91 as well. He will be 92 in November. Betty White, of course, still still here. Hey, still hanging yeah. in. Uh, yeah. Way, way out like there, and uh, and of course uh, we don't want to forget about uh, James. Uh, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Uh, uh, played the played the dad and and in uh, good time. Yeah, he's still around. Not only does he, not only is he still around, he still looks like he could knock me out. Is 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 how fantastic he's looking. We're uh, talking. Let's see. Let's see. John Amos. Still John Amos. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Valerie Harper left us. No, oh, Valerie. Um, yeah, John Amos. My goodness, he's got. He's he's still. How old is John Amos? How old is he? Indeed, I swear to God, he looks the exact same as he did on that on, on, in Good Times. He's eighty one. Uh, 81 years old. Yeah. I love, I love John Amos because on that show, he played the sports guy and he played him completely straight. He just played, and he was hysterically yeah. funny uh, on that show. But yeah, anyway, there we go. Uh, oh, Murray, boy. Gavin McLeod, Captain Steubing. Um, what are you going to do? Yeah. And we lost, we lost Georgia Angle two years ago too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really sad. She was so funny. Gosh. Well, anyway, classic television. Well, let's let's uh, let's get into it. We got a lot to deal with this week. Uh, should we hit TV first? New movies? Which? Uh, what do you feel like? Uh, well, uh, if you don't mind, uh, j- just because they're, they're they're sort of interesting, I'd like to poke uh, poke at a few of these four um, Ks. Oh yeah, if, 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 if they're, they're only a let's few of them here, and and, and yeah. some of them sort of interest me, particularly the last action hero steelbook. Uh, it's a four K steelbook. It's fantastic. I, it, I, it's going to be packed with all kinds of great stuff in it. I'm sure. I, look, this is a movie that didn't do very well at the box office, but it's grown, uh, it developed a bit of a cult following over the ensuing decades. Ninety, what was that? Ninety, I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, that is ninety three ish. I think ninety three ish. Ah, there you go. Uh, you, my wife, my my. My, my, my late wife is in that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. She had a scene. Right. She had a scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The scene never made it into the movie, but sometimes it pops up in deleted scenes in various different uh, in various different uh, versions of of DVD releases. Uh, I always thought that that very meta movie, one of the early meta movies about movies, uh, a movie within a movie, and the and the action hero comes off the screen to do all kinds of stuff. I always thought that movie was really really funny. Um, uh, I particularly love Charles Dance in that movie, uh, uh, and you know it was it, it, to me it's a better movie than uh, than than uh, than history records it as. If you look at its uh, IMDb profile or something like that, I could not agree with you more. I was a big fan of two movies from that period that everyone else ripped on. <coughs> Excuse me for the coughing. I, I got sick from my daughter this last week. No. I may have some coughing fits here, but. Um, there was uh, Hudson Hawk was the first one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and there. the Last Action Hero with Schwarzenegger, yep. which I just think them. I think they're both underrated and terrific, and and it's um, thrilled that they're getting re-evaluated. This has, this comes with Dolby Atmos and uh, Movies Anywhere code. Uh, it looks and sounds phenomenal. John McTiernan commentary on it, deleted alternate scenes, alternate ending, which is no big deal. Uh, behind the scenes featurette. It's 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 really just uh, loaded. The McTiernan commentary is pretty terrific. But here's the thing about this movie. It's basically Sherlock Jr. 
mm-hmm. taken to the level of an action film or Woody Allen's Purple Rose of Cairo mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's that, it's that, you know, bridging the, breaking the wall between movies and reality thing. But it is so um, philosophically self-reflexive, like where, where Schwarzenegger says to himself, do you know how much pain you've caused me? That's, <laughs> that's deep, dude. That's, that's deep. Going deep for that. For, it really is. It uh, really is. And, yeah. you know, McTiernan, I, I'd like to see him direct again. He's paid his due. Uh, I don't know if anybody's throwing work at him, but I sure, I sure would. Well, that was that's a reference to a whole wacky thing that happened with the, yeah. the director of that movie. McTiernan also directed uh, the the original Die Hard movie. He was a, he was a he was a big time director for quite a while. A bunch of wacky stuff happened in the nineties. And anyway, he's 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 good and he's back. Um, Super Eight. This is what uh, like the, the twenty is. It's an anniversary. It's it's, it's ten years anniversary. What is it? Yeah, it is the anniversary. It is the uh, it's I think it's the ten year anniversary, right? The 10- I guess it's a 10 year anniversary. Funny, somehow it seems longer. <laughs> which, is, which, which is which is very strange, and it perhaps then owes that this is J.J. Uh, Abrams, of course, homage to movies from the '80s, particularly Spielberg movies from the '80s. Uh, a lot of a lot of ET, a lot of monster movie stuff in there. Uh, to me, this movie was always a bit too much of that, yeah. and it should have been more of its own standalone movie. Uh, but it's so in, deeply engaged in in, in, in in you know being that love letter uh, to 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 Spielberg and others, I suppose, uh, that's the, the actual narrative. It, it loses the thread of the narrative of its narrative of what it's about. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it's a little unsatisfying for that reason for me. So, so I can say nothing bad about this movie now I know. because I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted. <laughs> uh, it, it, so here's the deal. Um, I, I have not even had the courage to listen to the audio commentary. Which features J.J. Uh, Abrams and uh, producer Brian Burke and Larry Fong. The reason I have not had the courage to listen to it is because even before I got this thing, Brian Burke uh, texted me the interview uh, that they all gave with Forbes recently, in which he uh, flat out, he's told this story before, I don't know if he's ever named me, but where he flat out names me as the guy who introduced him to Matt Reeves yeah. and told him to meet J.J. Abrams. So, so I got, I got, I got called out in that thing. Uh, so I'm kind of afraid to listen to the commentary because I, I, I don't know if I'm named on it. But um, either way, I, I, I'm Tim. I love this movie. I love it so much. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm talking crap. It's actually quite a fun movie. Uh, 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 there would be uh, no Stranger great. Things without this movie. Yeah, there would be no Stranger Things, and you know, and and, and I'm, and I'm one to talk about paying homage. I do it. I, I pretty much bite everything, everything I do whenever I do something creative. So uh, it's really sort of sweet of JJ to do that, and I do like the fact that it's an original story. The, scre- the screenplay is by JJ as well. Yeah, and it has a bunch of featurettes and uh, a little a little tidbit on uh, the, the the train crash scene, which is very interesting and very good. And uh, you know what? 4K, it's looking good. Yeah. Uh, Tim, Tim, were you a fan of the Final Countdown? Actually, I was. Don Taylor's film, Love Kirk Douglas, movie. Martin Sheen. Kind of, you know, I mean, look, this this is a real big think movie. Uh, it's another one of those movies where you know, at the time that it came out, you know, did so so. But uh, as we reflect back and from you know, some of these things now, it's a really sort of interesting movie with a lot of interesting ideas. A uh, whole aircraft carrier gets gets uh, thrown back in time uh, to 1941, right around the time that uh, the whole Pearl Harbor thing is 
about to go down and what the hell they're going to do about it. Uh, the special effects still stand out in this movie. Uh, they're completely watchable. What do you, what do you got there? Is that thing, is that, that this is a 4k? How does it look? This is a, this is a fantastic looking 4k. I really, I saw this movie two or three times as a kid in the theaters. Uh, it just, it was so cool. It's one of the first really super cool time travel movies, right? James Farantino, uh, uh, you know, it just, it, it, Charles Durning was really cool in it. Um, Ron O'Neill shows up in this thing. You know, it's like all these people that I really, really loved at that time. It just, it's a fun movie. And um, it comes with uh, audio commentary with uh, Victor Kemper, the DP. There is also a, uh, an interview with Lloyd Kaufman, who was a uh, producer on the film. And uh, interviews with the Jolly Rogers F-14 Fighter Squadron. It's really, really cool. And John Scott did the soundtrack. There's a soundtrack CD. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not that familiar with what, what the, you know, yes, it's that Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. So um, anyway, anyway, so uh, also on 4K, My Fair Lady, mm, yes. which, is, which is, which is freaking gorgeous and beautiful and wonderful. My favorite uh, of the many, 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 many iterations <laughs> uh, of this film. This is my favorite of all George Cooker's My Fair Lady. It, it, you know, oh, yeah. Here's the thing about My Fair Lady on 4K. This thing has been out on Blu-ray, and it's been it's been a bit of a disaster because the colors weren't right. They didn't take it from the right elements. Like this thing was restored. Robert Harris, who's talked to us on the show before, I'm going to get him again very soon <coughs> to talk about this and some other stuff. But um, he he was very unhappy with some of the previous releases because they didn't they didn't do it right. They didn't go to the right elements. This one gets it right. It is finally out there. It is finally right. You can put it into your Voodoo library. It comes with the um, comes with the code. Uh, and uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, it's just it's My Fair Lady. It's on 4K. It won eight Academy Awards in 1964, and it's Audrey Hepburn at her level best. Oh wow! Uh, it's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. It has tons of great features on it on the second disc. Uh, it's got um, a little making of kind of featurette thing. It's got an original 1963 production kickoff dinner featurette, which is really nostalgic and fun. Uh, footage of the L.A. premiere, the British premiere, and uh, footage of George Cooper directing. It's wow. really great. It's really great. Dude, 20 years since Shrek? Crazy, right? That's just, that's, that's yeah. anyway, whatever. But there it is, 20 years. Uh, Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, look, uh, Shrek, uh, I'm, you know, animation in me, in me, you know, particularly it's sort of American big studio animation, uh, don't always go together. Always loved Shrek. Always yeah. loved Shrek. Uh, particularly Eddie Murphy and Shrek and Mike Myers. Uh, this was just a damn good movie. Yeah, I agree. It's a fun movie. Uh, the animation still holds up much better than some other animated films I've seen recently. The satire still holds up. And, uh, you know, I think uh, even some of the, the, the slightly naughty humor, I think my daughter will appreciate it at her age. She's now uh, kind of into that stuff. So, <laughs> excuse me. Yeah. Uh, some fun stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of stuff on animation and how they put it together. Deleted scenes, music videos, commentary by the filmmakers. And uh, four hours worth of additional extras on the Blu-ray. So it's good. And a Movies Anywhere code. You can add it to Movies Anywhere and all the rest of your streaming operations. And you, you'll have it in your digital locker. Mm. Uh, our last 4K here is uh, a, a DC Universe movie, Justice Society World War II. Pretty cool. I don't know how many people out there are as enamored of the uh, Justice Society as I am, but you know, Justice Society is part of the the golden age of comic books. It's the it preceded the the Justice League. 
it's part of a, a different part of the multiverse. It's a different Superman, different Flash, a different Green Lantern, a different Wonder Woman. Um, but um, it's uh, it's pretty cool how this uh, how this how they how they put this one together. It really pays homage to the uh, to that particular period of comics, and uh, it's it's awesome. It's faithful. It, I mean, it bridges the you know the multiverse a little bit. Uh, it's, it's got Barry Allen kind of, you know, dipping through the multiverse, but it's great. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, I think anybody who knows the way that all that, that part of the DC universe, uh, all kind of connects will really appreciate it. And, um, that's justice society, world war two DC universe movie on 4k. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, a couple um, of new, a couple of new movies. I actually know yeah. because I saw them, uh, um, uh, minority. It, 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 it didn't take that long to reach us. Uh, Lee, Lee Isaac sure didn't. Chung's film, Stephen Ewing, and just a wonderful, beautiful movie, uh, about this family, uh, that, that, uh, immigrates actually from California, but, 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 but immigrates Korean family to the Midwest, to, to, to Canada, Kansas, uh, to work in a chicken factory, but also to try to start a farm. It's just this beautifully poetic movie. It looks beautiful. As it happens, I was, I was stationed in Blytheville, Arkansas, exactly no. at the moment in time in which this movie is set, which of really? course is the moment in time when Lee Isaac Chung was a child, more or less. It's, yeah, it's his story. You know, and, and he was, so he was a child on some farm in Arkansas that probably wasn't 10 miles from where I was stationed wow. uh, at an Air Force base in Arkansas. And I got to tell you, he gets all of that right. The, the, the you know, Arkansas in 1982, 83, whatever it was, uh, and the, the look and the sound and the politics and the people um, um, uh, and, and, and even that sort of Korean component of all of that he just gets exactly right so uh, this was just a beautiful movie and it, and it got a whole lot of um, Academy Award attention it did and it would have been my picture for best picture I love this movie I think it's great and uh, Yoo Jung Yoon as the grandmother deserves her Oscar through and through that is just uh, that is a tour de force she's an amazing actress and a wonderful lady so that, that could not have made me happier Here's what I think is interesting to dovetail from that to another new movie, which is The Nest, which mm. is also one of my favorite films of the year. I thought for sure this film by Sean Durkin, who did Martha, Marcy, May Marlene some years ago. <coughs> yeah. Excuse me. I'm going to be coughing through the whole show, getting yeah, used to it. That's yeah. uh, what happens when you have, you know, an eight-year-old. Um, but uh, he did The Nest, which I thought for sure would be in the in the Oscar mix, and it wasn't. Because it came out too early in a very weird season. But Minari and The Nest basically tell the same story. Mm -hmm. And and we could also say that Minari and The Nest tell the same story as The Mosquito Coast. Mm -hmm. but, but they all tell it from a different sociocultural standpoint. They are all about fathers with dreams, maybe misplaced dreams, mm -hmm. who forcibly relocate their families to realize those dreams and run into an unbelievable set of problems and in the end still have to overcome it to hold their families together. That describes all three of those movies. Mm. In Minari, it's a Korean family in Arkansas. In Mosquito Coast, it's Harrison Ford in the jungle. Yeah. Which is maybe the craziest of all. In The Nest, which is really much more uh, nuanced, it is an English father, Jude Law, and his American wife, Carrie Coon, and their American kids, he relocates them back to England after he can't make his American businesses work anymore. Mm. And it's, you know, 
Minari is great, but The Nest is great too. The Nest is an incredibly well-written film. Does not go where you think it's going to go. It it has a lot of really, really subtle and powerful and nuanced stuff. It's an absolute masterpiece of 2020. And I I hope people rediscover it because Carrie Coon, I thought for sure, I thought for sure would be in the mix for for an Oscar. Mm. He's not a front runner. (coughs) (coughs) Yes, yes, I I agree completely. and she's she's just amazing. She's Tracy Letts' wife, by the way, just so everybody knows. It's a, there's a lot of acting power in that family. But, um, yeah, Carrie Coon, amazing in this. Amazing in that movie. Carrie Coon's always great. We were fantastic in The Leftovers a couple of seasons ago. The Father, Florian Zeller's film. Um, yeah. um, th- th- that's kind of cool. I'm hoping that that has a, some sort of a commentary track with it, um, um, uh, if, if, if possible, because that's, that's the only thing that, I, that, that that film needs. Commentary track would be fantastic. It does not, Tim. Ah, it burn, it burn, does burn. not. It, I know it only has featurettes, which makes me think that we may be in store for a special feature, or like maybe even a uh, Criterion release at some point that will that will scratch those itches. Yeah, it's only got deleted scenes and uh, and a couple of featurettes. It's it. They rushed this out. I'm not sure they even realized that they they were gonna you know need to capitalize on it like that. But they should have done more. They should have gotten a commentary. Anyway. The Father, very, very painful movie to watch for me. I, I you know, mm. spent too many years as a caregiver to, to my mother and her sister with dementia. But, you know, you tell me from somebody uh, with a little more distance, uh, it still works for you? It was a very powerful film. Um, um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, of course, sort of won that surprise Academy Award for his portrayal of the father. Uh, this yeah. this, this, this uh, father is slipping into dementia and, and uh, perceiving the world in all sorts of ways where no one seems to be who he thinks they are. And, uh, in, in, in a certain sort of way, it's, it's adapted from a play, of course, so in a certain sort of way, it has a sort of stage-like quality to it. Um, uh, it mostly takes place in, in, inside that apartment. Keeps changing, changing on him. But it's a very, it's, it's real. No, it's a very, very strong film. Um, uh, Anthony didn't think he was going to win that Academy Award, uh, so he nobody didn't, did. So he didn't come to the show. He didn't. No, nobody he not, did. He just. Uh, but there it is. But you know what? It was a, a perfectly Academy Award um, winnable performance, uh, despite the fact that nobody thought he was going to win it. it doesn't mean he didn't have it coming because he was really, really good in that movie. So, Tim, I know you covered the Mauritanian on uh, radio, the yeah. Kevin McDonald movie, which got some love from the Golden Globes. Jodie Foster got no love from the Oscars. Um, really, I, I, you know, it's it, it's a I'm really kind of mixed on this movie. Like, I admire the hell out of parts of it, but I'm a little perplexed by other parts of it. You hit me with your take. Well, you know, the, the, that film was making a certain sort of... It's about a, a Mauritanian uh, who's, who's in Guantanamo, taken taken off the streets uh, from his home. He's in Guantanamo. He's been there for years. And this Jody Foster's the lawyer uh, that comes to defend him. And there's a, a, a military agent, a lawyer, who's who's there. And, and it's about the things, that these arguments to go back and forth about what is right, what makes America America. America, are we going to be the sort of country that snatches people off the street and puts them in prison and leaves them there forever? These are all very interesting arguments for 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, but to be honest with you, they're not interesting arguments for today. Um, um, and, and that's that's the way I felt about it. Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. 20 years ago, this would have been a discussion. 20 years hence, uh, I don't want to talk about this. Uh, I want to make a quick mention, too, of Raya and the Last Dragon. This is out on 4K. We were only sent the Blu-ray for it. A well-meaning film that just doesn't quite work, ultimately, for me. My daughter enjoyed it while watching it, did not want to watch it again. Mm. Now, from a young girl who's eight years old, who has watched Descendants 3, probably 
and I exaggerate not, eight times in the last 48 hours. <laughs> I kid you not. I know every word to all those songs. The fact that she doesn't want to see Raya and the Last Dragon a second time uh, does not bode well for Disney's uh, double, triple, quadruple dipping strategy. It's not mm. going to be memorable when it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, part of the problem, frankly, is that even though this is a nice mashup of a lot of Disney mythical stuff from, you know, it's got a bit of Milan, it's got a bit of, um, gosh, all the, you know, half, half the other princess stuff that's in it. It's got a little bit of Aladdin, mm. um, you know, it's all these things kind of mashed together in this thing, which is a post-apocalyptic, you know, hero's journey thing wrapped around this this the princess who's basically like a like a southeast asian princess trying to restore unity between these kingdoms forget about it it's all you know you, you get the draft um it, the problem is that aquafina plays the mythical dragon which would be fine if she weren't trying to basically do robin williams as the genie nah. it's too much it's too like hip and referential and an- anachronistic which you also got a little bit of when Eddie Murphy was doing the dragon in Milan. Mm. But Eddie kind of, you know, it was written better there. And the dragon didn't just dominate every single scene. It was like a little bit of comic relief here, a little bit of comic relief there. And that's fine. Uh, Robin Williams is the genie. That's the whole point. So Robin Williams is the genie. Here, you need a little bit more realism. It needs to be a little bit more Mad Max in this post-apocalyptic Southeast Asian world. And when you have Aquafina, you know, wisecracking left and right it sort of distracts from that so unfortunately that was a bit of a misfire choices very nicely done though choices choices yeah. yeah choices very nicely done a lot of uh, a lot of special features but uh, can't recommend it overly uh <coughs> excuse me let me make mention of a short mm, right. film here mm. called sun um which i uh, uh i think is quite creepy very effective Ultimately, very predictable. Um, Sun is uh, about a woman trying to protect her child from people who are determined to take possession of her child. And by take possession, I mean literally take possession because he may be the Antichrist. Mm. And um, she was once in a cult. And, you know, it's sort of like it wants to be a pseudo sequel to Rosemary's Baby a little bit and maybe a semi prequel to you know, the omen it sort of, you know what I mean? It sort of sits, sits in there a little bit. Um, has a couple of, uh, surprises in it. It's, it's adequate. The scares and the spooks and the creepy stuff are all perfectly reasonable, but, um, maybe I'm just too accustomed to these movies. I knew where this was going from the first frame. Mm. I was like, that is that. And that other thing is that, and that thing you're trying to make me believe is not that, that's also that. So <laughs> uh, you, you, you're not you're not pulling anything over me. And sure enough, right down to the last frame, I'm sitting there. I'm watching this thing, and I'm like, "Here comes the switcheroo." Yeah. Wait yeah. for it. Wait for it. Yeah, there it is. There yeah. it is. Yeah, I just I knew it. I knew it. Sometimes, so. sometimes we sometimes we've been doing this too long, man. Yeah. Uh, City of Lies. Uh, if you don't mind, I oh. want to holler that. Now, this this movie doesn't work at all. Brad Furman's film that basically is taking a look at the whole who shot uh, Biggie thing from the yeah. perspective of a detective who an actual detective, detective who caught the case, a guy named Russell Poole. Now, here's here's what is interesting about this movie. Uh, Russell Poole. Now, not Johnny Depp as Russell Poole. He's really called, he's just kind of phoning it in. But if you look up Russell Poole and his actual involvement with this case, the case of who shot uh, uh, Biggie Smalls, uh, 1997, outside the, the Peterson Automotive Museum here in Los Angeles, California, I worked the red carpet. 
of that soul of the soul train music awards that night. Uh, I, I, I talked to every one of those people as they were going into the building. Red carpet was over by about eight o'clock. All of this happened at 3 a.m. So I was well home and in yeah. bed when they were shooting each other on the street. But that night I was, I actually worked that red carpet. The, look, the, 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 the force, force Whitaker also in this film, uh, you, 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 you're playing a, 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 a reporter or investigator who, who kind of got the story wrong and wants to fix all of that. Here's what's interesting though. Russell Poole, Russell Poole was not only involved with that case. He was also involved with uh, the the Rampart case, uh, which yeah. brought down that section, a very sort of corrupt section of the Los Angeles Police Department. Russell Poole was also the detective who caught the Enos Cosby case when oh, Enos Cosby kidding. was killed. That was his case. He, he brought he he found he, he caught that guy, the guy that wow. killed Enos Cosby is Bill Cosby's son who was killed in the I think I want to say the late nineties on on the yeah. four or five freeway out near the Getty, not too terribly far from from the boot. Ninety, I want to say about ninety six. Yeah, the year before this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the year before the thing. Then Russell Poole was also one of the detectives who was involved in the North Hollywood shootout. Not not a mile from where we no, lived, from where me and with that that with, Romanian guy with the with, with the, the, with the oh, black jackets and all that stuff. Oh my gosh! The Russell, there's footage of Russell Poole uh, 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 in his in his detective suit. Uh, wow. with his Russell Poole was involved in all of those things, including this, and he, he ended up his career sort of inauspiciously. But um, look, somebody should could have just made a movie about Russell Poole. That's how interesting that is. This movie don't work at all. What do they put on it? Uh, you know, some deleted scenes, audio commentary with Furman and uh, the author of the book, Randall Sullivan. Uh, and uh, that's about it. You know, not not much else. I mean, this movie's been on the shelf for about three years. Yeah. So it, it had a very difficult path. I think Johnny Depp's quite good in it, though. You know, I think he's very good. Well, Johnny Depp um, in, in a movie not playing a pirate. Uh, I think yeah. I think other than Whitey Bulger, Johnny's only played normal humans, you know, once or twice in the past 20 years. <laughs> it's really true. Um, Land is the directing debut of Robin Wright. It is a very it, it, I, people kind of piled on this film a little bit. I think they were a little unfair. It, it Look, she she's directing the first movie. She's going to try to keep it contained. And it's it's ambitious but contained, and that's and that's what you want. And does it say that she has chops? Yes. Mm. And she's directing herself as a woman who, in the wake of trauma, does one of those uh, man called horsey dances with wolves kinds of things. Yeah. And you know, or uh, Jeremiah Jones. I mean, there's a million of these movies that star men doing this, and mm-hmm. this is one about a woman who does it. She you know goes to a cabin in the woods that she's inherited, and basically just tries to cut herself off from civilization and everything that causes her pain. Fair enough. Um, yeah. You know, and it doesn't quite go as planned. And, you know, there's there's a way of reconnecting with humanity that comes out of this. You sort of know where it goes. It's not a, not an unusual arc. It's kind of mythic. But um, the way it's put together uh, is very solid. She has a good sense of, uh, of the camera, of visuals, of how to tell a story when no one's talking, which is not, a, not an easy thing. You know, she has a real filmmaker sensibility. Usually you would expect actors when they do, uh, when they have, when they make their first films, sometimes very theatrical, too much dialogue, too much acting, too much, you know, thespianism. She has a real cineast sense of how to, how to, you know, put the camera in places and let, let things kind of tell the story visually. So I give her a lot of credit for this. It's not a perfect film. It's a little, it's a little, (coughs) excuse me. It's a little thin. But she does a really good job with it, and there's a nice featurette on here about that, and, and I think it's solid. Also, a movie's anywhere code. So 
Yeah, you look. It's no, it's no, it's no thinner than Nomadland, uh, and in some ways, they're kind of the same movie uh, in terms of just that thing. Or oh, this, this has perhaps more in common with uh, what was that one Reese with into into the wild? No, that was. The oh other yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah Reese with a little bit like that. Yeah, the, she did the, the where she's where she's walking. Where she's, where she's walking. The, the yeah, 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 that's right. a little bit of that too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to make uh, make mention of three things that are that are stone cold crazy uh, among the new films. One of them is Willie's Wonderland. Mm. What in the what in the hell? is going on with it did you see willie's wonderland that, no that was that was, that was not my the, week what happened like like it's in it's it's this insane nick cage film and when i say an insane nick cage film <laughs> i mean by by the measure of other insane nick cage films this is the most insane nick cage film of the last 20 years it's completely bananas it's like uh meet the deedles crossed with a nick cage movie it's completely bonkers um I, I don't even know. Where, so Nick, Nick, it's it's like a horror film setup, right? He's a Nick Cage is a is a guy whose car breaks down in this little out of the way place, and um, he, he, in order to kind of pay for the repair of his car, he takes a job cleaning this um, kind of uh, amusement center for kids called Willy's Wonderland, uh, and. There's a secret to Willie's Wonderland, which is that suddenly he finds himself doing mythical battle with like animatronic creatures possessed by demons in the middle of the night. It's 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 completely insane. It's totally insane. I don't know who. It's the only way this movie works is if Nick Cage is in it. He's, he's like fighting. He's like fighting puppets. It's ridiculous. Um, here's another one. William Shatner, the Shat is over 90 years old. Yeah. And he is still playing sexy with Gene Smart in Senior mm. Moment. He's a he's a late-life swinging guy, and uh, he likes to drive his sports car a little too fast, gets his license taken away. Christopher Lloyd plays his buddy, so now he's got to go to traffic school and figure out how to make life work without his license. And he, uh, he romances Gene Smart, and there it is. That's basically what it is. Mm. Uh, William Shatner waking up in bed with Gene Smart. Um Kind of gross, kind of funny at the same time. <laughs> what's what's funny is William Shatner is too old for Gene Smart. That's way that, too old. That's way, way too old. old. You back yeah. all that up, back all that up 30 years, and she's uh, uh, 20, and he's still like 80. <laughs> so, so yeah. He's just, just way too old for The Marksman. Hey, dude, that movie. So Liam Neeson, right? Yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson in, in, in this movie kind of like not exactly doing the taken guy uh which is what he's been doing for about 15 years now even when yeah. he had, it was not necessarily in the taken movie uh he's kind of doing the taken guy this is a little bit more interesting he's still a guy he's the man he's the man uh, uh but he's he's, he's you know, arizona he's a rancher kind of guy and this little little mexican boy uh, is is uh, you know crossing the border and and, and get into the u.s and fleeing lean would be normally you think he might be the kind of guys like uh, you know dadgum you know people crossing the border but no no, uh, he decides he's gonna he's gonna take up with this little Mexican boy and defend him uh, against these cartel guys who are trying to kill him for various different reasons. And you know, it's a, it's a crunchy little desert shoot 'em up uh, that I kind of liked. And like I said, Lean not really doing the Taken guy. And I'm always bugging, uh, poking him on the show uh, for doing that Taken guy over and over and over again. Well, you know, Lean didn't do the Taken guy. This guy's from Arizona. He wears a hat. Fantastic. So it's basically straight up Liam Neeson film with a few modifications. Yeah, yeah. All right, fair enough. Uh, so here's a, here's a crazy one: spare parts. Uh, this is just feminist 
grindhouse like uh, of the 70s variety that I, I i haven't seen this in a long time i mean this goes back to like ebony ivory and jade level stuff right <laughs> yeah <laughs> excuse me oh, oh, uh, yeah. no this is really really fun it is uh i mean nick cage should have been in this one too frankly that would have uh, that would have been really fun so um it, it, this is this is about a a punk girl band who are entrapped by a psychotic groupie fan and uh they they it's a little bit like saw i i want to give this away they okay i'll give it away they <laughs> yeah, wake up they wake they, they wake up and he has amputated their arms and replaced their arms with weapons okay mm-hmm. so they it, and and now you know it, it just now it becomes this crazy like gladiatorial it, it, it just it's off the it's off the hook it's completely crazed so if you can get into that, it's basically it's basically like a Saw film, I guess, with a completely ridiculous premise, but it's fun. It's mm. actually quite a lot of fun. Um, you, you just have to have a really sick sense of humor for it. So, <coughs> Yeah, I know. I'm going to be coughing the whole show. Spare Parts from uh, RLJ, uh, RLJE Films. Mm. Um, Pixie, as long as we're on the subject of feminist fantasy films, Pixie's great. It's not on Blu-ray. It's only on DVD, which is really sad. But Olivia Cook is amazing. Oh, yeah. This is an this is an Irish film. It's kind of it, it has a certain uh, Coen Brothers feel to it. Uh, it. It's a it's an Irish crime story, and Pixie, played by Olivia Cook, is the, she's trying to sort of orchestrate a heist that will enable her to get out of Ireland and start her life again. But the problem is that the drugs in the middle of this whole thing are wanted by everybody. And you get one of those things where suddenly there are like too many parties all double crossing and crisscrossing and allying with each other to get the drugs. And everybody's accountable to somebody and somebody's going to pay and they're going to make somebody else pay. And it, it gets it gets a little bit convoluted, but it's dark and it's funny. And I got to tell you, Alec Baldwin oh. is this completely psychotic Catholic priest running a drug running underground of, of illicit Catholic priests mm. is hilarious. He's psychotic. He's got it. He's fast with a pistol. He puts on that Irish accent. It's pretty great. And mm. Irish priests, Irish priests, you know, they wear those robes, right? The full, <laughs> like that go down to the ankles. So they look very like, uh, like 19th century. The way, the way that they dress. So I I'll love fall into one of those things. It's I love crazy. it. I love it. Father, Father, Father Hector McGrath is his name. Colm oh. Col- Col- in that movie, too. Guy, I, love, I love anything with Colm Meany. Uh, and it's just fantastic. Uh, uh, dude, I'm looking here under classic, and I was looking at the classic, and there are only a couple of movies there, and one of them, Mission Impossible, 25th yeah. anniversary. And I'm thinking about, yeah. I'm like, Mission Impossible, 25th anniversary. Surely this is insane. Tom, Tom, they just shut down, of course, the, the, the current. Mission Impossible film because 10, 12 people came up positive for COVID. This, after, I don't know, however many months ago, three, four, five months ago, Tom went bananas, is out there on the interwebs, Tom going bananas over COVID, something or other, a few months ago. And they just said that. But 25 years, Tom has been running, jumping, slamming, and, 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 and doing the whole Mission Impossible thing. Of all the Mission Impossible films, I like this one the least. Do you really? You know why? Because what? they make a, it's twenty five years. So if you haven't seen the movie, to hell with you. Because they make uh, Peter Graves' character. I knew it. A yep. bad guy. I knew. And I'm like, you. I did not watch Peter Graves save the United States of America. 
for I 20 know. years, so many times in a row, for you to take his character and, and turn him into a bad guy in your hacky ass Mission Impossible film. That pissed me off so much. I, I know I so many. I know so many people who feel the same way. I, I and I totally get it. Here's why I'm forgiving of this film because the knock stealing scene. No, oh, yes, may, may be the best thing that Brian De Palma ever directed. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I get it. I get all the other complaints, but that one scene is so, is just such a classic piece of cinema. It's so beautifully put together. Uh, it, it just kills me. So, uh, I still like it. I still forgive it, but you know what? Let's remember 25 years of mission impossible movies. Tom still looks the same. Yeah. Tw- more than tw- like 30 years worth of, of waiting for a top gun sequel. He still looks the freaking same. Yeah. Tom, in 30 years has not aged. No, I it's love it. Quite impressive. Way it's to hold it down, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Way yeah. to hold it down. Keeps me um, in the gym. Keeps me in the gym. A couple other new movies real quickly. Uh, Tom and Jerry, the movie, absolutely terrible. Uh, no reason to exist. It's on Blu-ray. I can't recommend this to anybody. Uh, <laughs> the only thing that, that makes this even remotely worthwhile <laughs> is that Ken Jong is in it. And uh, Ken Jong makes everything better. I mean, there's a few other cameos in here, you know, uh, but, you know, like Michael Pena is really great and Colin Jost is really great. And, you know, uh, Chloe Moretz is in it. They're all fun. Um, It's not Tim Story's fault that it's not good. They, 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 you know, nobody could have made a good movie out of this script. It's just Mm. a bad idea. Fun cameos, but nobody needed that movie. Uh, Shoplifters of the World. What a weird movie this is. So um, they made an entire movie, uh, an entire period film about a bunch of really forlorn kids on the night that the Smiths break up. And it's about how they all lose their minds and can't cope with life. Like as depressing as a Morrissey song is, <laughs> they're even more, they're even more depressed because the Smiths have broken up. So like life is ending and the world has no meaning anymore. And one kid goes and like holds a DJ at, at the gunpoint and makes him play the Smiths all night long. It's ridiculous. It's based very loosely on a real incident, but I, you know, like, I, I guess I get it, but did, mm. do we need a movie about people who are obsessed by the Smiths? No. Like, not, not the Stones, <laughs> not, not, not the Beatles, not, not a band that, like, anybody sort of universally acknowledges as, you know, something that made a difference, not, you know, the Smiths. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. I don't get it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, one other nutty thing here, Benny Loves You, speaking of the stuff from the Nick Cage film. So Benny Loves You is a, is a murderous puppet. Uh, I, I, I didn't watch this, and the reason I didn't watch this is because they tried too hard, because I get this box in the mail. I'm like, what is this box? I open it up. The box is a picture of a puppet on it. What is this box that has a picture of a puppet on it? <laughs> I open it up. There's this Blu-ray inside, along with the actual puppet. That's very weird. A puppet <laughs> holding a knife. A puppet, basically a Muppet, holding a bloody knife. What am I supposed to do with that? I'm not going to let my daughter play with it. Am I going to put it on the mantle? What am I going to do with it? Nothing. It's trash. You're trying to make me say something nice about your movie. Don't do that. Okay, that's all I have to say. Benny Loves You <laughs> is the crazy. movie. It's very strange. It's very freaking strange. Um, uh, let, let, let's finish off some of the rest of these here. So real quickly... Um, a couple from Shout Factory, mm-hmm. uh, Explorers, and the uh, the uh, King Kong from nineteen seventy whatever it was. The, the the you know the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with Jessica Lang in the in the giant fake ape hand. 
Yeah. Um, hey, 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 let's 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 the Jessica Lang, the young, young, young. That's like that's young Jessica Lang there. <laughs> and and sure so there's a moment in that movie when when yeah. when she's wearing whatever the hell she's not wearing, and that yeah. monkey and that monkey blows her off. <laughs> and she Let me just say, just, I'm like, wow. You know, we we do have to pay pay tribute to someone who has just left us, who was in this movie, Charles Grodin. Yes, Charles. Yes, I forgot about it. he plays the right. he plays the Jack the part that Jack Black would play later in the much worse King Kong. Charles is actually very good in that movie. Uh, he's he's very well. good. Jeff Bridges. Look, everyone's pretty good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Jeff I mean, Bridges with that know, beard. <laughs> it was kind of the highlight of John Gillerman's career. John Gillerman had done a. He was one of the last oh, of those guys yeah. who made a lot of big action and war. The Blue Max. Like the Blue Max. He, Blue John Max. Gillerman, yeah. Right. You know, so Gillerman had done a lot of stuff like that. And, and uh, this is kind of the tail end of his career. Screenplay by Lorenzo Semple Jr., who, of course, did Flash Gordon and mm-hmm. tons of, you know, Batman stuff. I mean, you know, Lorenzo Semple and, and, and some James Bond stuff. Lorenzo Semple Jr., good, solid kind of campy screenwriter. And it's got some credentials. It just, uh, for whatever reason, it didn't, um, you know, it didn't all quite come together. But uh, there's some nostalgia. Um, so we, sp- we talked about Super 8. Explorers kind of falls into that mm-hmm. same uh, pre Stranger Things uh, vibe. Um, a lot of young actors here that have gone on to do big things. I mean, Ethan Ethan Hawke most notably. Um, I, I you know I I I'm kind of fond of this movie when I when oh, I come yeah. back to it. Joe Dante you know did this on the uh, on the heels of Gremlins, and I think it uh, I think it's a nice artifact of the eighties, nineteen eighty five. Not a bad film. He'd also done uh, his Twilight Zone segment leading yeah. into this. Yep, yep. So this is a nice uh, shout select collector's edition with a lot of great extras on it um it has both the home video and the theatrical cut of the film they're a little different not significantly it's got deleted scenes with optional commentary by joe dante and a uh, an all-new documentary compilation a science fiction fairy tale the story of explorers which has all new interviews with everybody involved it's pretty great so fans of explorers unite and celebrate what else do we got should we do TV? Uh, let's jump into TV. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we can do some TV. Uh, I see, I see the ultimate nine two one zero collection. What yeah. do they mean by that? The ultimate nine two one zero collection, nineteen ninety. That series nine two one zero. Bridget also did an episode of that. Uh, so nine two one zero. This is this is the ultimate. This is actually a, a rather extraordinary monster box um, of uh, see the, uh, all ten seasons of the yeah. thing. In a giant box set, it is massive. It is huge. Uh, this has not been out this way before, and it is—it's the whole thing. And you know what? I, I have to confess, I did not watch every single episode this last week. I didn't have time. Yeah. Ten seasons would take me a month, and I'm not gonna. Well, look, look, look Let me just say that, that 1990 to the year 2000. So the series encapsulated the entire decade of the 90s, relatively speaking. Yeah. Um, uh, which I think is a really you know, makes it a really sort of interesting uh, time capsule uh, of at least a sort of Southern California of the 90s uh, that you sure. and I that you and I were living <laughs> at that time. You yeah. know, Beverly Hills 90210. And I think that's a sort of interesting thing. Um, I like that series. It was I thought that it sort of it matured over the course of that 10 years from being about these kids in high school to being about these young adults trying to make their way in the world. It is an iconic show for people who are of a certain age. And yeah. I was not that age, but I know a lot of people who were, and they related to those characters in very much the same way that fans of friends mm-hmm. related to those characters. 
and uh, it was equally well cast. It just wasn't a comedy. But look, I mean, look how many actors it, it gave us. Everybody on that show became some kind of an independent star. Yeah. So we also have the complete series of CSI New York, all nine seasons uh, with Gary Sinise. I can't believe this ran for nine seasons. That kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I'm amazed at how long shows run now. I mean, you remember shows used to run for like four or five years, six years, and that was it. Yeah. You got, now it's like 12, 13, 15, 9, 10. It's crazy. Yeah. If you got three uh, seasons, you can go into syndication back in the day. Now, man, you can. Yeah. Yeah. And gobs of extras on this. It's like nine hours of special features on this. I don't know if CSI New York necessarily justifies that. But, you know, for, for people who can't get enough of the, of the Gary Sinise and everybody else, there it is. Uh, much more my speed is uh, The Bureau, the complete series. Oh, yeah. 15 discs. This is a really, really super sharp show. Um, uh, this is a, uh, a, a French series, of course, which is one of the, you know, toughest uh, cop shows on television. And uh, it's, it's just super great. People who don't like reading subtitles have all responded to it. Um, we've talked about the, the show before. This is now a complete box set with uh, the whole thing, and uh, you know, fifteen discs, man. It's absolutely great. Five seasons. Just a, it's it's a really it's top notch television. French television has totally resurrected. It used to be all garbage. Mm. It's pretty great now. Pretty great. Uh, let's see what else we got here. I got you know, as long as we're on the uh, the CBS um, Paramount thing, I'm just going to pull a few of these out really really quickly and just make super fast mention of them. Uh, I'm not a huge fan, by the way, of the Lower Decks, the Star Trek comedy animated show. I think yeah. that's really weird. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't doesn't work for me. It just doesn't work for me. It's weird. It, it's like it's Rick and Morty in Star Trek land. I don't I don't I don't like it. It's got you know tons of special features on it, but I don't like watching this. It's just mm. it feels wrong. Does it feel wrong to you? Yeah, well, it's so wrong that I only watched one. It's funny, it's funny, but you know, you still got to get the lore right. You got to get yeah. the nature of the characters right. And, and, yeah. and, and, they, and they want to do exactly the opposite of that. And, and, and both for those of us who are actually, you know, Trekkie, Trekkers. No, what I want yeah. is them to be who they are. And the, so I don't need your funny take on it. Bite me. Uh, and then uh, as long as we're talking about Berlin, we've got another Berlin, cool Berlin spy series, Berlin Station, season one, three discs. Love that too. Uh, it's a good show, man. It's a it's a great show. It's a contemporary spy series. Um, you know, a U.S. agent who's just gotten to Berlin and uh, you know has this has this mission to unmask this uh, this other secret agent. It's pretty great stuff. Really good writing. Very sharp. Well directed. Uh, I, I I I like where this show is. I like where it lives. Uh, Berlin Station, the first season. Uh, tell me a story. The second season. Is is also pretty intense. I did not see the first se- uh, the first season. Uh, this is created by Kevin Williamson, who's no slouch, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, <coughs> excuse me again. Um, but uh, you know this this it, 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 it basically it's a it's a modern day fairy tale series, and uh, it reimagines um, fairy tales in a in a contemporary way. And it starts, and this one starts off with Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella. Gives them a modern twist. I think it's very, very clever, very smart. Um, the way it's contextualized, good writing. Also, Dead to Me, season two, which is oh, yeah. very, very funny. Yeah, this is very, very funny. Linda Cardellini and Christina Applegate are, are, are a great dark comedy duo. 
And um, I think it's uh, I, I think this is a fun show. Well, I, I, I love that Linda, both of whom, you know, we know we know from when they were children, child actors. Uh, yeah. Christina yeah. Affleck, of course, married with children, Linda Carlini, um, you know, whatever that Judd Apatow show was uh, yeah. back in the 80s that launched her career. And they've really both de- just developed into these sort of wonderful uh, actresses. Uh, yeah. yeah. You can yeah. do the comedy, do the drama, the whole thing. Fantastic. Love did to me. Yep. It's good stuff. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Charmed. Got Charmed on Blu-ray. I've always got been a big the, fan uh, of Charmed. I just can't help it. I've, uh, in, in all its iterations, you know, the, that '90s Charmed with yeah. uh, Shannon Darty and everybody. I love that one. And this new Charmed with all it's, the Latino and the black girl. I like it too. I can't yeah. help it. I like this. I like those. I like those. That series. Well, it, this is the original series, third season, and uh, on Blu-ray. And, uh, you know, I mean, witches just, especially attractive witches, just always make for really, really great television. Not much, by the way, of extras on here. Mm. Uh, just 20, just 22 episodes from the season three, but they're on Blu-ray and very nicely remastered. Um, Infinity Train book two is uh, continuing this Cartoon Network premise that is quite <coughs> uh, very creative deals with you know the uh kind of alternate universe concept of mirror world and, mm. and um you know this adventure and it, through what is kind of a the television animated multiverse and it's uh, it, it's it's pretty smart and fun and it's one of the better things on cartoon network and then let's uh, tim let's talk for a second about uh ancient aliens season 13 season 13 jeez uh, yeah Lucas. I know Eric Von Daniken is like is sitting is rolling in his grave thinking why couldn't I have just lived another you know forty years because <laughs> seriously he'd be he'd be a billionaire with this stuff by now yeah, man. Um, so we're we're you know Ancient Alien season thirteen okay fair enough we're going you know Easter Island we're doing we're we're doing all the usual chariots of the gods Von Daniken stuff and still trying to convince people that aliens have been visiting the Earth for you know thousands and millions of years but then. All of this stuff, we are literally now like a week and a half or two weeks away from some alleged government report on UFOs. Oh, yeah. That you and I both know is going to consist of, um, yeah, we, we've, we've seen some things we don't really know how to explain, and uh, we still don't know how to explain them, and then there it is. It will be unremarkable. Yeah. There's not going to, no guy is going to walk up to a, to a microphone and say, all right, everybody, um, you're right. We've been totally lying. We, we, have a, we, have a, we have a spaceship in, in Hangar 18 as well. And uh, we, we've mastered warp drive. Yeah. We've, been, we've been venturing to other solar systems. We have aliens living among us. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. There's no, there will be no reveal of a Stargate. Uh, that's just no. – they call them something else now. They don't call them UFOs anymore. They, they, you, they call them UAO, UAP. I don't know what it is. They, 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 they changed yeah. the name. I'm like, what, 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 what makes you think that changing the designation? Dude, uh, this, this happens all the time. Everybody's always changing names of things. Like UFOs. Oh, it's too mystical. We're going to call it something else. Everyone's still going to call it UFO. <laughs> yes. They did this. They did this. They did this with like after the movie South Central. Remember the movie South Central. Oh yeah. They, they, after that, they 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 the the neighborhood councils in South Central yeah. decided to start calling them South Los Angeles yes. for the stigma. Oh, well, you know what? Now now South Los Angeles has a stigma. It's it didn't change. It doesn't change. It change. Stop it. Oh my God, it's hysterical. Uh, That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So they're all UFOs. I don't know. I don't know what's going to come out. Of that, but I, but I think I find it weird that they're saying that these little tic tac sized UFO things yeah. have actually been seen 
on a regular basis by the U.S. military since the 1940s. Well, here's the deal. Um, um, and, and, and because I look, I, I was in the Air Force for years and, and we used to do all this sort of investigations all the time. Here's the reason why uh, the things that we call UFOs, unidentified things that are in the air that we can't see, and they're always fuzzy and, and unidentifiable. Well, because they are, in fact, fuzzy and uh, un- unidentifiable, that's how we know that we don't know what they are. Because they're they're fuzzy and unidentified. You see, if it's not fuzzy, if it's in focus and you can see it, then you can see that that's a ship, that's a weather balloon, because it's in focus. Uh, And and, and there are all kinds of of, of, of sort of scientific ways to figure things out. People always go off the deep end about these things. And just about all the time, when you do the hard math, because you're always flying at 9,000 miles an hour and it's turning on a dime and it's doing all this kind of sort of wacky stuff that they claim. None of that stuff is, is ever true. Uh, it has to do with understanding what you're looking at and having all of the correct data points, how far it is and all this kind of stuff. And if you do not have, if you do have that information, you can identify what that thing is every single time. When you Tim. don't have that information, you have to make it up and then you make it up to be a unidentified flying object. That's the way that Tim, here's how I look at this. We have never had so many cameras Mm. in the world shooting so much stuff all the time Mm. with such clarity. I can log onto the Internet and I can see clear photos of everybody's freckle, everybody's baby, Mm. everybody's cat, everybody's dog, everybody's surgical scar, everyone on the planet on a Facebook feed. I'm sorry, with all of those cameras snapping all the time mm. with public surveillance cameras all over China, all over the UK, all over the United States, ring doorbells yeah. in front of every damn house, yeah. photographing the street all night long, coyotes and raccoons and possums <laughs> that get shot. And, uh, and, and, for the, and, and 4K, in 4K in high definition. 4K high definition, you name it, night vision. <laughs> and and I, I'm not, no. If there's a UFO somewhere, one of those things would have captured. Yes. Don't show me U.S. government surveillance. No. UFOs. Fuzzy, fuzzy. Show me, no. 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 Show me my neighbor's 4K ring doorbell. Yes. She, that's, where, that's where the proof will be. You'll, know when, the, you'll, you'll know when the aliens are here because it's going to be like, it's going to be like uh, Independence Day when that big yeah. shadow, <laughs> that's, then you'll be able, you won't need any, you'll look up yeah. and you'll be like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. I think I think we got it this time. So yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Oh. I see here, Revolution of the Daleks. Yeah, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I am about Doctor Who. What what yeah. what era a Doctor Who is that particular set? Who's who's the Doctor? Let me and, let and, me and, and the Revolution of the Daleks. Let me let me dig into it. Hang on just a second. Let me go grab it. I love my Doctor Who. Yes, we got Doctor Who on Blu-ray, Revolution of the Daleks. This is brand new Doctor Who. Um, this is uh, this is our uh, Jodie Whittaker this is Doctor Jody, Who. Our girl Doctor yeah, Who. Yeah, fantastic. Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who. And of course, you know the initiation of every Doctor Who has to be that they got to fight the Daleks. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a thing, right? Yeah, the Daleks, and eventually the Master. That's it. You aren't you aren't a Doctor Who unless you fought the Daleks. It's great. 
Uh, no, Jodie Whittaker. I, I have to say, Jodie Whittaker is one of my favorite Doctor Who's in years. Oh yeah, in years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, there's, there's some haters at the top, but you know what? Get 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 get, oh, get over yourselves. Oh uh, no, no, she's great. She's she has great. all the sort of bon vivant and energy of my favorite yeah. favorite Doctor Who, Tom Baker from yeah. uh, the fourth Doctor. I think it's it's Tom Baker. Uh, but if we're talking about these modern Doctors, I appreciate my David, your David Tennant. I appreciate your Matt Smiths and all that kind of. Even Peter Capaldi was interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, but Jodie Whittaker. Uh, you know, I can see Tom Baker in her there with a little bit of Sylvester McCoy in her. I think Sylvester was the uh, maybe sixth or seventh doctor or something like that. So, you know, yeah. that, reaching back to the, to, to, to the old school is something that she did that I really thoroughly enjoy. No, I, I like it. I think she's sharp. I think uh, I think she has she has the uh, she's got exactly the profile that, that a doctor needs to have. I mean, she knows the character. She's not trying to reinvent the wheel. She came in. And she said, I'm going to do the doctor my way, but it's still going to be the doctor. She, mm-hmm. it. she knows what fans want. She brought it. It's, it's fantastic. Got a couple of, a couple of little uh, shutter things here real quickly as well. Uh, the reckoning fear spreads like the plague. <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, the reckoning is, is, you know, pretty straightforward horror stuff. It's exactly what people expect on, uh, on shutter. But, uh, you know, I mean, right now, like, for example, the um, did, did you see the new uh, the new conjuring? Oh yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah. It kind of takes us it's, way back. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. It's it's really not bad at all. I kind of like the uh, I like where I like where it went. So Satanism is in again. Just so everybody knows, <laughs> Satanism's a hip thing again for the first time since you know Shelley Winters in the nineteen seventies mm. was was like a satanic uh, sorority mom. And um, the this 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 is cool. This is um uh, this takes place during the Great Plague. It's a period thing, and Charlotte Kirk is uh this this widow whom they think is a witch and uh she has to kind of go face to face with like the ultimate inquisitional witch hunter guy and uh that is where all of the that's where all the the, like it's fake satanism until the real satanic spirits start entering the equation and then you know it's then like all hell breaks loose. <laughs> like literally. <laughs> I, I, uh, I had to give that a good lead in. And then another Shutter original is the Mortuary Collection, mm. uh, which is also really, really fun period horror. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it's a, I don't know how to even, how to even begin on this. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of an anthological, <coughs> excuse me. I'm going to keep coughing. Basically, it's a, it's an anth- it's an uh, anthological look at, at horror in this one particular town, this one small town, and uh, it's got a great cast in it. Uh, Clancy, oh, Clancy Brown is yeah, great. Yeah, Clancy Brown's great. I mean, he's really, really aged into these kinds of things. He brings still so much gravitas. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's actually pretty fun and I wouldn't be, uh, averse to seeing this turned into a kind of tales from the dark side series. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of special features on here, but I think, um, I think, uh, you know, with a little bit of good feedback, they might just say, you know, let's, let's take this and let's do this on a regular basis, a season over season thing. So mortuary collection, uh, is, is worth taking a look at as well. Let's see. Oh, uh, as long as we're on the subject of uh ghosts (laughs) let's talk about power book two ghost the complete first season on stars tim did you get a look at this uh yeah yeah yeah, you know interesting stuff kind of fun like it's like a sequel to power Mm -hmm. right that's Mm -hmm. the whole thing and i never watched power that much 
but uh, this is this is good, strong writing, and uh, you know, I I kind of like where it goes. I like the whole. It picks up with the sun. Yeah. Omar Hardwick and all that kind of stuff. What happened to Ghost? And you know, Omar Hardwick was was Ghost. He was the character Ghost, and so yeah. some stuff went down with him. This picks up with the sun. There we go. Yeah, I mean it's good. Uh, it's good legal procedural stuff, and uh, we haven't had that for a long time. And Stars is Stars is doing some good work. I I'm kind of impressed. And Stars now is uh, Stars is owned by Lionsgate. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and and who owns the and MGM owns the other one, which is I forget the name of. There's the other one. I always get Stars and the other one mixed up. The other the other um, the other streaming uh, streaming network. No, no, MGM owns. There, there's one that, that's that, because it's now going to be part of Amazon. Oh yes, and that deal, yeah. Epics, 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 Epics. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah. I was get Stars and Epics mixed up. So, so Stars is part of Lionsgate. Epics is part of MGM. Epics is now going to be over with Amazon. And what's that going to? We didn't even talk about that, by the way. Yeah, that happened since our last show. Let's take time out just for a second. Two giant mergers. So Warner Brothers basically is now part of Discovery. Mm-hmm. AT&T didn't sell them to Discovery. AT&T orchestrated a, a stock swap and merger. Mm-hmm. So Warner Brothers is, is part of a new company with Discovery, and AT&T owns 72% of that company. So it owns the controlling share, but it could sell it tomorrow. It's not the same company mm-hmm. as it was before. It's not a subsidiary. It just happens to be a majority shareholder. Mm-hmm. So basically, Warner Brothers is free of that AT&T nonsense now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they, can figure, they can figure out what they're going to do, their deal with HBO and, and all that business. And then, of course, the other one. Yeah. Um, um, which is also uh, 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 Amazon Prime, MGM. Uh, Amazon MGM. MGM. Um, what's funny you know, when we talk about these about these mergers, these acquisitional sort of situations, is that the top dog in them is always the reverse of whom I would. If we're talking about Warner Brothers, you think Warner Brothers would be the uh, the 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 top dog in the act? No, Warner Brothers is, is, is the thing getting and same thing here. Yeah. Uh, um, MGM is the thing being eaten up by this young upstart Amazon Prime. I mean, these companies, these these uh, uh, the venerable. Uh, Hollywood companies, Warner Brothers and MGM, uh, are fodder. Uh, they're the they're the things that these big, you know, relatively new companies, twenty year old companies or whatever, they come in and they, they have billions of dollars and they buy them and they take up the libraries. You 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 noted that MGM will, for the first time in I don't know how many years, 20, 25 years, however, have an actual yeah. home on a lot uh, yeah. uh, in Southern first California. Time, first that, time in decades. That's yeah. a big MGM's deal. Man. Gonna have- it is a big deal. I mean, I know a lot of people are really upset about the, uh, the you know, it's like the MGM's library is being treated as just a commodity and whatnot. But like, let me tell you something. MGM has been owned by a, by a hedge fund for a, for a decade. Uh, Amazon is a step up from a hedge fund because that hedge fund has not mm. done squat with MGM. It's been really destructive. A lot of a lot of bad stuff has gone down. I'm privy to a lot of it. Um you know, I, I can tell you, it's a it's a step up for MGM from where they were. It's mm. a big step up. Yeah, uh, yeah. <coughs> primal. This is uh, Gandy Tart- uh, Tar- Tartakovsky's mm. Primal, the complete first season. This is a uh, an Adult Swim animated show, uh, prehistoric show. It's kind of like the Flintstones, except not not funny at all. Uh, it's a it's a caveman. And who and dino, it's a caveman and dinosaur tale. I, what, what, 
Uh, scientifically, it is. I don't. I yeah, anthropologically, no. I don't find that it, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't no. make sense at no. all. It's like it makes about as much sense as the, as the Flintstones, right? Yeah. Hey, uh, but, but when it comes, really, to, it's really good animation. When it comes to yeah, look, I'm a Samurai Jack guy. I love me some Samurai yeah. Jack. Again, uh, uh, Chodakovsky, but uh, you know, I, I, this one we'll see. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, Ultraman Leo. Uh, I never saw this, Tim. No. I never saw Ultraman Leo. I no. lost track of the Ultraman Ultraman series after like the third one. There's like. 10 of them or whatever. It, it, this is, this is the seventh and final of the original seven Ultraman series from the seventies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had like five or six since or whatever it is. Um, anyway, this was, uh, this is from 1974 and, uh, it's like, uh, they bring all the previous Ultraman back and it just gets really hard and deep into the Ultraman lore. A lot of people in tight suits and masks, uh, stomping on little miniature cities and, and shooting, uh, lasers out of their arms. I don't know, 51 episodes uh, of Ultraman Leo in high def and this steel book, which is uh, part of Mill Creek's ongoing Ultraman, um, complete Ultraman release. If you haven't caught the first six, uh, you're going to be totally lost. And I have caught the first six and I'm still lost. Ultraman. So I don't know what to do. Ultra, Ultraman is from Nebula. It's from Nebula L, from the Nebula L77. From the I'm L77. so glad you know that. Yeah. I'm so glad you know I, that. I should, I should not know that, but, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, what, else, what else we have on the, the TV front here uh, that, uh, the MacGyver season 4 oh uh, my goodness uh, which yeah. is you know look yeah, you, you know how I am with these with these with all, all, all of my television series of the 80s being uh, reconceived and, and, and yeah. uh, they, they irritate me I've never been able to watch any MacGyver other than my MacGyver uh, yeah. And it blows me away that this MacGyver has actually made it to season four. I think I think it's all done though. This MacGyver, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think it is too. I mean, it, it it gives it a good shot. There's some there's some kind of slick direction in this, but he's not charming. Yeah, he tries to be. Yeah. He's trying too hard to be charming. He's just and no Richard Dean made, Anderson, man. He's no the Richard thing that made Richard De- see that's the thing that even made Richard Dean Anderson charming was he wasn't trying. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't trying. Yeah, Snoopy collection. This is uh, the the first four big screen movies with Snoopy in them. A boy named Charlie Brown, Race <laughs> for Your Life, Charlie Brown, Snoopy Come Home, and Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, all in a single um, uh, Paramount Blu-ray collection. It's pretty great. Um, uh, I mean, I, I love these. I love these movies. I think they're a whole lot of fun. So I, you know, I kind of got to kind of give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, why not? Um, uh, by the way, we're going to, we, we are going to, I should have mentioned earlier, we are going to have a giveaway right at the end of the show. So, uh, hang with us and I will, uh, I will release that one as soon as we, uh, as soon as we come right to the end. Um, uh, let me gra- Fuller house. Oh, yeah. mention a fuller house, the fifth and final season of fuller house. Um, I was never a fan of full house. Wasn't so much a fan of rebooting it as fuller house. Mm. I don't really quite understand the point, but you know what, Tim? It made it five years. They got five seasons out of that thing, they man. They got five seasons out of this. Who's watching Everybody's rebooted their residual checks for the grandkids, you know, which I, I appreciate, but there you go. Yeah. I, know. I mean, this is where TV is. Like, five seasons used to be like, holy cow, what a hit that is. And I look at this, and I'm like, you got five seasons on Fuller House? And I never saw a single one, I must tell you. I never saw a single one. Not a single one. Not well, a single clearly one. somebody did. Yeah. Clearly somebody did. Uh, let's see a few others here. Uh, some nice little period stuff <coughs> from the PBS end of things. Um, PBS and the, and the you know British TV end of things. Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables three movie collection. Mm. 
includes Anna Green Gables, Anna Green Gables, The Good Stars, and Anna Green Gables, Fire and Dew. Um, you know, there's not a lot out there for not a lot of kind of period wish fulfillment stuff for little girls. So I'm grateful for this and uh, for, you know, how much how much love and care they put into these things. My daughter's not quite old enough, I don't think, for Anna Green Gables, but soon enough, I think she'll uh, she'll thoroughly enjoy it. So this is a this is a nice collection. Uh, Miss Scarlet and the Duke from PBS starring mm. Kate Phillips yeah. and Stuart Martin. This is a part of Masterpiece's Mystery. This is, uh, uh, you know, Lady Detective in Victorian London, which is really fun. It's like mm. a female Sherlock Holmes, right? I love it. It's a. Uh, yeah, it's it's really really good stuff. It takes place in the 1850s, and uh, you know it is it is quite literally the the exact same milieu as, as Sherlock, and so they they just kind of take that and run with it and give it a little bit of a a little little cool little um, feminist twist. And then Jekyll and Hyde from the uh, the people at uh, ITV by way of PBS is uh, a a reimagining of sorts, but not too much of one of the classic Robert Louis Stevenson story. Mm -hmm. And it's very stylishly done. This one takes place in London of the 1930s, just on the eve of World War II. And uh, it's it's very, very slick and very cool. It has a wonderful cast. Tom Bateman, uh, Sinead Cusack is in it, uh, Christian McKay, Michael Kareem, Amelia Bullmore. It's a really, really solid cast of some very, very good uh, uh, British and European talent. So Jekyll and Hyde, the ITV version originally seen here on PBS. Let's see. Uh, mm. Got so many other things here uh, that we have not been able to get to. Um, finding Joy. Let me do Let me do the acorn stuff. Okay. And start with Finding Joy. Um, Finding Joy series two is Amy, uh, stars Amy Huberman. <coughs> I'm telling you, I'm going to be coughing the whole show. I'm be coughing the whole show. Uh, so this is an Irish comedy, uh, starring Amy Huberman as, is a, uh, a, 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 an internet sensation who is, uh, an influencer based on her, you know, her pep talk. She's got her dog and she's, you know, uh, she, she puts herself in these bizarre situations and, uh, you know, the, the Paul Reed plays her cameraman and, and the whole thing is kind of amateurish. And how do you, how do you become, how do you manage to be a television network of one? And, you know, it's sort of like Mary Tyler Moore uh, in 2021 without the TV station. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Uh, so Finding Joy, Amy Huberman is really, really delightful. It's got a real great Irish sensibility to it. It's a lot of fun. Um, the Southwesterlies, also from Acorn. This is an Acorn original. Um, this is a, uh, takes place in West Cork. And the, the uh, it's uh, a, a it's it's not a comedy it's it's got um it's got a, it's it's basically like i don't know falcon crest is maybe a good uh, analogy for this one it's mm. kind of falcon cresty it's sort of falcon cresty but it's got a light sense a light sense of bit no you know what it is it's like northern exposure there you go yeah 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 it's got a more of a northern exposure uh, vibe to it and uh wonderful wonder orla brady oh, is, orla. Uh, is the lead is beautiful she's an environmentalist uh, you know environmental consultant in in out in cork it's got a cool, lovely, quirky little cast. It's very, very charming. Um, and then lastly from uh, the Acorn people is Bang Season 2, or Bang Series 2, uh, which is 
also, I mean, they get great locations out of these these UK shows and these these Commonwealth shows. Uh, this is a cop show, uh, also female centric. Um, Katrin Stewart, previously from Doctor Who, mm-hmm. is uh, a uh, detective sergeant, and she's you know got to find the serial killer, and then it just becomes a great procedural from thereafter. Um, a lot of really good supporting uh, performances here from you know solid British TV talent. So, uh, bang series two, good show. Check it out. Hopefully, that lasts a few more series. Mm. Uh, you see, you got a few Criterion down there. I see. Yeah, let's let's, just, let's let's knock out those Criterions, including uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, uh, nineteen eighty-two. Geez, Willikers. Uh Amy Heckerling. Haven't thought about her in a long time. Cameron Crowe, of course, a screenplay. Young Cameron Crowe writing that screenplay. Sean Penn, Jennifer Jason Leigh, uh, Judge Ryan. All you know, uh, yeah, you forced Whitaker in that movie. A lot of folks, you know, who were young in their careers uh, in, in, in eighty-two, who went on to have real, real sort of serious careers. I, you look. Some of the stuff in that film uh, you might have a hard time getting away with today, uh, but to my mind, it's still mostly funny. And I, I always thought, I always thought that it captured the notion of high school teenage high school angst better than the John Hughes films did. John Hughes made a whole bunch of those movies, you know. His films were a little bit slicker. Uh, Amy Heckerling's film, uh, this Cameron Crowe film, it's not quite that slick. It's not, you know, it has it has a little heartache in it. Uh, yeah. These films without uh, the sort of grandstanding that happens in some of those John, uh, John Hughes and, films. And I have to say, the thing that always killed me about Fast Times, which I saw at a very, I mean, I was that age, and, and I can say two things about Fast Times. And this is a really, really beautiful um, Criterion Collection release. I mean, it's got a new conversation with Heckerling and, and, and Cameron Crowe, moderated by Olivia Wilde, which is um, very, very revealing and very smart. And the original 1999 documentary uh, that was with you know interviews with cast and crew. And then um, uh, audio discussion from 1982 uh, with Heckerling and the American Film Institute. Here's a, here are the two things about Fast Times. Um, number one, the front of the high school was actually the front of a mall here called Santa Monica Place, which I used to go to when I was in high school, and that was where we would go and eat. And it's been since remodeled, and it's become all very uh, high-end and, and splashy. But the mall as it existed, which they redressed for the front of the high school, is no more. So I'm a little nostalgic about that. The other thing, I'm not sure I've ever mentioned this before, but I, I know fairly certain i know with a fair degree of certainty that the character spicoli the way performed by uh, sean penn is based on a family that i grew up with <laughs> that i went to school with i i will not name the names but there are a number of brothers and they all are spicoli <laughs> every last one of them one of them was my age another one a couple of years older and then there's another one that was two years younger who was like a human version of animal from the Muppets. <laughs> and I will never forget a day in junior high school when that youngest brother, I, I was walking along like a, you know, one of the, one of the buildings, the outside pathway by the classrooms. And he's coming the other way going like this. Ah, 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 and he's banging his head on the railing <laughs> repeatedly. Like, ah, bam, ah, <laughs> Bam, uh, bam. 
and and with a big grin on his face. Oh my! And walked God. right past me, and and I thought, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't even know what's going on there. Well, today, I don't t- even know what's t- going on. Today, we'd be able to diagnose that, and, <laughs> and there'd be a pill. <laughs> that, that, that kid could take. Uh, oh, anyway. Merrily, mer- 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 we go to hell. Is yeah. that the, is that the Dorothy Arsner film? Yes, that's yes. fantastic. I love Sophie this. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, Dorothy Arsner, one of the one of the few, and actually more than we than, than we acknowledge now. Uh, women uh, directing major studio films and doing that yeah. sort of golden that golden period, twenties, forties, whatever. Dorothy, uh, and, and also um, um, sort of you know eventually sort of an out gay woman too. Dorothy was yeah. Dorothy was um, I, I think she died in like the late seventies or something, but she was still doing uh, sort of university tours, uh, you know, yeah, she uh, until she until until she passed away. And I, I got a chance to meet her and. I don't know, whatever undergraduate school or something like that. Dorothy Arsner, fantastic. Yeah, Marilyn would go to hell, by the way, loaded with pre-code scandalous stuff. Mm. Like the, I mean, there are sexual and drug things in this movie that are, in, in just a few short years, would be gone. I mean, 32, the code comes in around 33. So there's maybe a year, year and a half that, that before this all goes away. So this is a great pre-code film. Yeah. Just pushing all kinds of buttons. Frederick March is absolutely terrific. Uh, Sylvia Sidney also. Very, very, very good. young Cary Grant in that movie. Very young Cary True. Grant. True. Yeah. Um, Trances is also out from Criterion, a movie I had no knowledge of whatsoever. Mm. Um, this is the uh, this is about the uh, a, a Moroccan band called Nas El Giwane or Giwan, and uh, it's a documentary uh, about this band that was shot during a series of uh, performances in Tunisia, Morocco, and France, and uh, it was made in 1981. And I had I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing about the band, nothing about anything. So it's a really unusual Criterion release. You just mm. look at this and you go, "What? I don't even know what this is." Um, but it's it's really fascinating. It gets into um, the politics of music in the uh, Arabic world at that time and now, mm. and a lot of the cultural influences, Berber and Arabic and, and everything else. Uh, it's really, it's quite a, it's quite a good film. It's, uh, you know, it, it, even though it's completely alien in many respects, it's just really fascinating and nicely put together. Uh, Flowers of Shanghai by oh, Hu Xian. Yeah. It's beautiful. A little too yeah. slow for my taste from yeah. 1998. But it's a it's an absolutely beautiful film by the great Taiwanese director, and uh, you know it's a nice little um, a lot of nineteenth uh, uh, century Shanghai court intrigue. And Tony Leung is great. Michiko Hada um, as his mistress is equally great. It's a it's it's a wonderful wonderful movie. Um, again, you got to get get with the pace, but it's got great extras on it as well, including a feature length documentary. Uh, Pretty terrific. And then the last one here, uh, Nightmare Alley, Tim. Mm. You ever see Nightmare Alley? Oh, yeah. The Tyrone Power thing from 1947? Oh, yes. Not a bad bad gritty little movie. Again, you know, uh, that that, Tyrone Power, he was a big, big movie star. People, you know, he's one of the big movie stars of that day whose name, uh, I don't know, unlike, say, like, I don't know who else was, Burt Lancaster, uh, uh, whose name sort of went away a little bit. Tyrone Power was a handsome, uh, hell of a leading man, a good actor. Yeah. 
Well, my father, my father was one of the teachers. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to I'm going to own that. Joan Blondell in this as well. Uh, closer to the end of her studio career, but pretty great. Uh, you know, mainly a, a, a comedian in her heyday with Warner Brothers. But, um, you know, this this is a this is a cool little movie. Uh, it takes place in a, uh, a traveling carnival and gets very dark and noirish, uh, you know, nicely, nicely moody, very moody filmmaking by Edmund Goulding. Um, Tyrone died I, young, I think. That might be. The, he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, there's an audio commentary here from originally recorded in 2005 uh, by uh, James Orsini and Alan Silver. And then there is a new interview with uh, film critic Imogen Sarah Smith talking about it as well. And a few other little uh, interview and uh, audio tidbits that uh, give you some a good background on why this is a cool film mm. from 1947. Uh, let's see what else we got. Uh, Santa Sangre, Tim, the Jodorowsky film. Oh yeah, is out is out in this splashy set from Severin, which I did not see coming. I mean, I'm not even going to try to describe this. This is one of the weirdest movies of all time. <laughs> well, it's Jodorowsky. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jodorowsky just is completely losing his mind and going full avant garde in experimental. I mean, this is just. It's like Jodorowsky vomiting his id and all of his hallucinatory madness onto the screen. It's uh, it's it's absolutely crazy. Well, that 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 and Holy Mountain, I would you know. Yeah, I would love to have seen what happened if he ever, if he would have ever gotten his Dune. Um, um, yeah, his, right. you know, but there's a documentary about his you know not getting <laughs> Dune. I know, after, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, Jodorowsky's Dune. Anyway, this is a uh, this is a great big splashy four disc set. With uh, 4K UHD of the film, so you get Santa Sangre in 4K, and uh, eight hours of bonus features plus a soundtrack CD. It's just not to be believed. The extras on here are interviews and featurettes, and there's like a 30th interview celebration from uh, uh, Mexico City, and you know, I mean, if you want, if you want a Jodorowsky high, this this Severin Santa Sangre release is for sure it. And this, it is a beautiful transfer. I mean, I saw this movie once at a festival, and it was—I don't want to say it was ugly, but it was—it was dated. You know, it was bleached out and wasn't the best print. And this is—I've never seen the film look this good. I've never seen it this good. So whatever they did, man, it was the mother of all cleanups. They really did a great job on it. Really, really terrific job. Um, a few other things from Arrow here. Let's let's just mention some of these uh, these cool Arrow releases, and then we'll uh, we'll go to our giveaway and wrap the show up. Um, uh, the Bloodhound is a, uh, a a short but still rather interesting movie uh, in the uh, the Edgar Allan Poe genre. Uh, this was first time director Patrick Picard who um, was basically using the fall of the house of Usher as the basis for this, um, for this rather interesting thriller that, uh, that doesn't quite follow all the original beats. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a recent film. This is about made about a year or so ago. And uh, it's, uh, it's compelling. I wouldn't call it great. I would say, uh, listen to the commentary that Picard does with his editor and understand what they're going for and then maybe watch the film again and see if it kind of changes the way that you see it but it's actually very very ambitious ambitious and interesting the bloodhound Mm. uh graveyards honor sorry graveyards of honor Mm. 
is the uh, is uh, Kinji Fukasaku and um, uh, Takashi Miike both doing the same story um, many years apart. Fukasaku made his in 1975. Miike made his in 2002. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the two films in a single two-disc set. Now, the question is, uh, which of them told the story better? And I don't think either of them told the story perfectly, but I think both of them told it very stylishly. I will leave it to you to decide which mm. one is the better one. But uh, it's an interesting idea. Arrow got both of the films and, uh, and has released them in a single double-disc set, uh, Graveyards of Honor. Mm. Loosely based uh, on a true story, that one. Uh, the, is it really? Yeah, yeah. J- Japanese gangster movie is what it is, folks. Yeah, 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 I mean, I, I never, you know, I just assume all the Japanese samurai gangster stuff and Yakuza stuff, it's all, you know, just made up because, I mean, nothing could ever really be like that. Yeah, well, right? yeah, 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 well, yeah. Apparently not. Uh, this is one of the worst titles ever. I am not overly familiar with Taro Ishii, who is a kind of scandalous and notorious uh, cult director in Japan. Uh, orgies of Edo and, you know, horrors of mal- malformed men, you know, t- movies like that. They, they just have these awful titles. And uh, this one is called Shogun's Joy of Torture. So this is basically a family musical. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Uh, it, it, this is... This is this is this is you know um, this is an exploitation film, or as they call it, Jap exploitation. Yeah. The most flattering name, but yeah. Uh, yeah, this is like Marquis de Sade kind of yeah. stuff. It's sort of soft corey and and sick and weird and mm-hmm. twisted. And I get it. There's an audience for this. Some people get off on this stuff. I don't particularly, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, like I've seen Tokyo Decadence. Yeah, I sort of know. I know the drill. Uh, let's see here. Uh, let's, let me do these. Uh, the El Duce tapes. Mm. And then we'll, uh, we'll bring the show to a close. So, um, uh, so this, so if you remember Ryan Sexton, who was on the general hospital once mm-hmm. upon a time mm-hmm. back like 30 years ago. Okay. So, uh, he, he, Ryan Sexton also fancied himself a filmmaker and he went to, um, like some of the nastiest parts of Hollywood clubs and, you know, dirty little corners and whatnot with a VHS camera. And he shot tons and tons and tons of stuff of this band mm-hmm. called the mentors, uh, and all of their indulgences and El Duce was their yeah. lead singer. Yeah. And uh, here we are all these years later, and they've taken all of this nasty footage and they've put together this really weird, surreal look back at this bizarre guy. And it's 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 if it had been made at the time, it would have just been a throwaway movie from the 1990s, Mm -hmm. like kind of a late 80s, early 90s thing. But now it's this, it almost feels like a snuff film. Yeah. It's super bizarre. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like not even, it almost feels like a faux documentary. It's very, very weird. I got, he wore, um, he wore this little black execution, the lead singer, this guy, El yeah. Duce, when he was there. The music was terrible. Uh, uh, but it was, you know, it was, it was a whole, you know, you know, I got, who are these guys and you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was one of those bands where, you know, like Ozzy Osbourne back in the day where the lyrics got den- denounced by all sorts of religious groups yeah. and they held, they held Senate hearings 
things about the lyrics and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So it, was, it was one of those moments when we were kind of doing that in America and they were one of the sort of minor bands, yeah. freakish minor bands that got caught up in it. Uh, you know, let me let me take us out to this. I, I was hoping to get this covered before the Oscars, but we didn't get one until after the Oscars, but it's fine. Uh, so this this is a nice. We won't go out on anything S and M and weird. <laughs> so um, and this and this takes us into our giveaway. Uh, so uh, one of the things that Paramount has released is a uh, Hollywood's top ten, which is is ten amazing Academy Award winning best pictures in oh. one box set Blu Ray. And the ten films are Titanic, Forrest Gump, No Country for Old Men, Terms of Endearment, The Godfather, Gladiator, The English Patient, American Beauty, Wings, and My Fair Lady. Uh, all of them now in the uh, Warner Library, which of course includes you know a whole bunch of stuff. But um, uh, the, uh, or I'm sorry, the Paramount Library, not the Warner Library. Uh, these are all part of the, this this Paramount collection, and uh, they've they've done a really really nice job. It's all Blu-ray. It's not uh, not 4K. Um, but if you don't really care about that, you'll be you'll be very very happy with this. It includes Wings, of course, the the first Best Picture, and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of other great stuff. And uh, it's a nice collection. You, it's just, they're all good movies. It's yeah. not, there's no ringers in here. It's really good. And so our giveaway is this. We talked about My Fair Lady. We are going to be giving away uh, two copies of My Fair Lady on 4K UHD. And all you need to do is email us at gods at bidjagods.com, gods at bidjagods.com, or gods at cinegods.com. And put uh, lady, L-A-D-Y, in the subject line. Put your name and, and address in the body of the email. And make sure it gets to us by uh, Sunday the 13th. And then on Monday the 14th of June, we will pick uh, two winners and uh, and, and have, Par- have uh, Paramount send out to you. Yeah. So there it is. So, Tim, uh, you, you saw your mom. You had a good uh, good birthday with your mom. Yes, yes. A lovely yeah. trip. I, I can tell everybody who doesn't know already that air, air, air traffic, air business, air people flying is pretty much back to normal. That plane was packed yeah. in both directions, uh, which is okay with me. Uh, um, uh, so, yeah, 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 you got that taken care of and a little bit of business. And uh, it looks like things are sorting themselves out. I got a movie. I think you've already been back to the theater for something. Didn't you go see? What I did have. you see? Uh, I saw I saw Quiet Place Two. There you go, back in the theaters. Quiet yeah. Place Two. Yeah. I will be back in the theater for probably the Heights because I'm on the show yeah. coming up, and uh, and they uh, so it looks like that'll be my first movie. It's, it's a funny thing to after a year, more than a year, to 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 consider what your first film back will be. <laughs> screening that's screen, that screenings tomorrow night. Right? Screenings tomorrow night, and uh, yeah, over at the theaters. Yeah, dude, I'm 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 probably going to go there and see you because I have not seen you in the flesh. <laughs> Yeah, over a year, and, um, and that's insane. I mean, this is the longest that you and I have been apart in in like thirty, 30 years. years. Uh, very, very, yeah. very easy. Look, all this video stuff. I do love it though. Uh, uh, the, the way we do it, it makes everything so. It's, it'll be interesting to see what things we go back to doing the old yeah. way. Wholly and completely, I mean. But I do not yeah. think that everything is going to go back to the old way. My my, my brother in St. Louis, I, mean, I was in St. Louis, my brother tells me uh, that uh, he they've already told him that he's pretty much going to continue working from home. Um, uh, and only, uh, only occasionally will he have to go into the office, which is just going to make a gigantic difference in his life. Um, um, already has, obviously, because he's been working from yeah. home for more than a year. But now he can see what that difference is. Um, well, so you know what? Out. 
I, I, I will say this. What I think this has done, look, every 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 crisis and catastrophe, everything has a silver lining. Everything that's bad, you got to find a way to make a positive out of it. You yeah. know, that's, that's always been like uh, one of my great mantras in life is when, when bad things happen, when loved ones, you know, uh, get ill, when tragedies happen, you got to find a way to turn it into a positive. Yeah. Uh, and I think what, what we're going to find with this, what I know people have found is that a lot of people can work from home. And at the same time, it has also taught us what jobs are best not working from home. Both ways. Yeah. It works both ways. So I think everyone's going to be a lot more efficient now. You're going to know where you can get the best out of uh, the tools available. And we've certainly all learned to use technology in a way that we never would have been forced to use before. Oh, my mother is like a, like an expert zoomer. Uh, yeah. she can set up meetings and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and if you look, I just came home from visiting. So obviously that's important, but I got to tell you, we had some family gatherings that were bigger on zoom over this last year and a half than they were when we actually did them in person. Yeah. Uh, because the people who were you know, scattered to the winds could simply uh, dial into the to, to the big Zoom. So, you yeah. know, 25 people on a Zoom. Is it the same? No, of course, it's not the same. But nevertheless, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was a different sort of thing. So I kind of think family gatherings for, for her birthday. Yeah. You know, we, we I was there in person for her birthday, but we also did a big ass Zoom um, for all the people who were where, we, where we didn't used to do that. Um yeah, it'll be interesting to see what companies figure out. I, I know two or three companies, of, you know, again, a buddy back in St. Louis, <laughs> who, you know, um, uh, he by, by, by getting rid of the building that he was renting to do what he does, uh, what his company yeah. does, uh, he's saving $5,000 a month. But he's still wow. doing exactly what he did before, but he doesn't have that overhead anymore. And he's just come to realize that that overhead was literally just that overhead yeah. the, the whole building was plainly not necessary for him to do what he does he got rid of the building um uh, and in the, in the building will become something else somebody else will rent the building to do something else in the building but it yeah. completely again changed the entire dynamic of his business and put five thousand dollars a That's month crazy. into his actual business um, uh, wow. and I know two or three, I know two, two or three situations like that. So it'll be a very interesting thing. It'll be a very crazy, crazy. All right. Well, it's all good. Everybody be safe, be well. We're still, we're, we're ramping back up to, to, to life as normal, but the podcast goes on Yeah. and, uh, and we will have a, uh, hopefully some other, we've been cleaning up the, uh, the Digigod site or the Cinegod oh, site yeah. and, uh, and, and better integrating the Digigod's podcast. We'll have other changes to talk about in the, in the coming weeks. So go out, be well, be kind, uh, and, and if, as your as the laws in your area relax, go out and, and hug some people because we, we all need it after a while. We should look. I I, I don't want to go out on uh, on a downer. I did just get a I did just get a text from a friend who tells me that our beloved actor Clarence Williams III just passed away was or has been no. uh, 81 years old colon cancer technically wow. clarence williams of course link from mod squad yeah. clarence williams uh, the third uh tells from the crypt clarence williams the yeah. third uh i could you know we could go on so wow. uh you know yeah. 81 81 though a nice a nice long run for clarence williams the third wow really really a pivotal tell that bad boy that's that's uh that just came in huh yeah um, right off the right hot off the wire right boy what a yeah what a what a what a pivotal television actor he was. He was he was you know look he he's a part of that period. Him uh, Bill Cosby, 
uh, in, the, in the middle 60s, late 60s, middle, Ivan Dixon, um, yeah. who were these uh, uh, black men uh, in these extremely important and high profile television shows. And the Mod Squad pulled a better than a 30 share uh, yeah. for years, that's 30 million people, uh, you know, sort of representing um, uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a particular way and, uh, and, uh, and had a really long, great career. Uh, you know, Gosh, I worked with just, him a couple times myself. Yeah. And those, those sunglasses, he was so cool on the Mod Squad, you know, it just, he, he just had that look that, you know, with the sideburns and the whole thing, it was just, and, and as an adult actor too, as a, or as an older actor, you know, I mean, he was in, he was in Purple Rain too. Wasn't yes, he, he played uh, Prince's father right. uh, in, yeah. Purple, in Purple Rain. Boy. Yeah, he did. Wow, amazing, uh, amazing, and uh, worth noting too, he played Jelly Roll Morton yeah. in uh, Giuseppe Tornatore's Legend of 1900, so uh, he uh, he's, uh, he had quite a run, amazing, Ernest Williams III, rest in peace. Yep. All right, with that, thanks Tim, we will see you guys next time. Right, good work, brother. 